0: All right. Well, listen, we're going deep, folks. We usually do. Brandon Angelo at Angelo Fantasy, Matt Waldman here. Let's let's get it started. We're going to go let's, deep. Let's get into it on Justin Fields. Let's start with that. We got a whole lot oh, of folks to cover, but let's go deep on him. You wrote a great piece on Twitter about him. I did a little video on him. I know that JTL Sullivan's done the video. Also, yep. people have done the video. So, what are your thoughts on Justin Fields and and what's happening? in the public eye and on the field.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, to just kind of shorten everything up, it's basically paralysis by analysis, right? You have a really young quarterback who's trying to do everything right and who's trying to do it the way that the coaches want him to do it rather than the way he presents that on the field to be his best. Right? He can't do that because he feels like he's pigeonholed into being what he's not right now. And Luke Getz is essentially trying to make him a version of Aaron Rodgers. Drop back schematics. He's not – that's that's not who Justin Fields is, right? I mean, he's much closer to Mitchell Trubisky than he is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Um, and that is an okay thing because he's the 3.0 version of Mitchell Trubisky, which is a pretty damn good player. But right now you're getting an unconfident and you're getting, you're getting an unconfident and a player that is trying to play for his coaches and do what they tell him to do rather than do what he thinks he can do best. Right. And what I wrote on Twitter was really how like information is processed from a sequencing standpoint and what levels he struggles, with, right. The four levels of this are pretty simple. First one. Observe and identify, right? You're observing what's in front of you right now. You're seeing the picture and identifying what is going on with it, right? Level two, realize and understand. After you see the picture, you have to understand the steps that turn that picture into a moving production. For the quarterbacks, the other 21 21 players in the field of play, you have to understand their responsibilities before the ball is snapped, right? Then level three, survey and anticipate. When you're rolling out, dropping back, your brain will follow a cognitive sequence similar to what are my options? How do I increase the probability of success on this play? What are the possibilities on this play? And those could be a lot. It's a pretty wide bandwidth. That's what's going through your mind when that's happening in real time. And then level four is act and react, right? An action script, an experience, reaction is an unplanned event. So what's happening is when... Justin Fields gets to level three. Survey and anticipate. His options are way too broad. You have to thin those out for Justin Fields to be his most successful style. right? I think it was the first drive of the the game he played last week against the Buccaneers when they scored a touchdown, designed play actions, rollouts, half-field reads, get him on the move and get the ball into DJ Moore's hands, right? I mean, that that's the recipe for success. They went away from that. Luke Etsy wants to drop him back. Then they're in trouble. Um, and that's what's happening right now. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those things when you're trying to take a guy who is very clearly not a drop-back passer in, in the NFL and make him a drop-back passer in the NFL. Yeah. And it's, it's a disaster.
0: Yeah. And it's – and, you know, first – After reading your analysis, after I had already done some this afternoon and this morning, and then I read yours and I was like, we're on the same page about a lot of this stuff. And then I happened to tune into Rich Eisen's show, um, or at least a clip on YouTube that I saw. I don't normally watch a lot of talk radio stuff, but I was kind of angry and irritated from what I saw, which I think is normal for when you listen to this kind of stuff, um, is that it elicits that. I don't think Rich Eisen, though, is usually seen as a shock talker who sure. or a controversy guy, but I thought he completely got it wrong when he looked at this Justin Fields presser and Justin Fields said, you know, I'm getting coaching, but I can't, I can't think about that when I'm on the field. I just got to play. And what i heard and saw is what you heard and saw when you watched the tape which is information overload you can't think on the field the coaching's all well and good but you've got to ingrain that you know through off-season work, you've got to ingrain it throughout the week. And some things aren't just going to come automatically, even if the coaches are showing showing it to you after week one or before week two. It's things that you're aware of, you want to be better at it, you want to take that coaching, but you also know if you think about it too much, the rest of your game is going to go to hell because now the basic things that you already know how to do are falling apart because you're thinking about the things that you don't know how to do or don't yeah. do well. And and as a result of that, instead Rich Eisen heard that as equating it to Zach Wilson not taking blame last year and that Justin Fields didn't like coaching, didn't want coaching, right. um, that wasn't receptive to it, was not taking responsibility. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And I'm someone who, when I studied fields, I thought he wasn't, I think he was my fourth quarterback in that class. And I saw him as tremendously talented having the highest upside, but I saw him as a guy who needed to be somewhere where they could give him a really defined plan to get him rolling and stair step him up into being the quarterback that maybe a team would envision a franchise right. starter to be. Very similar to Josh Allen. Not maybe the exact plan is Josh Allen, but I would say, I would I refer to it as, he needs to be on the Josh Allen plan when you think of broad strokes of stair-stepping someone up. Right. And where he is, there's so much that has gone wrong in the past three years that I almost look at this like it's a it's a bad marriage like yeah. you know you, you you your your partner the chicago bears have pretty much abused you and abandoned you during you know the first two and a half years and and it scarred you to the point that when they finally did get help you you could no longer trust them or trust yourself and you're a shell of what you were to the point that you're questioning everything and this isn't a good situation anymore. And you're out. Like you're like, I can't, I'm done. And when you, you know, when you talk about the sequencing aspect, we both identified that his drops are slow. And, oh, when you, man. and when your feet are slow, you're thinking slow.
1: It's it's a crazy thing And it. So all this stuff is, it, these are called hind brain activities, right? And hind brain activity, it is very simple. It is the analogy of if a dog is chasing you, if you're thinking about it, you're going to die. You're already dead, <laughs> right? You're not thinking, I need to move X miles an hour. You're just running your ass off, trying to get away from the dog, right? Yeah. That's what it needs to be on the field. It's a brain activity. You already know what to do. Your mind understands the sequencing element and how quickly it needs to fire in order to get to X, Y, Z. But if you're thinking about it, it's going to be slower. Yeah. Right. It's executing like to the issue.
0: speed of instinct. Like you just and that dog analogy is perfect because you're instinctively fight or flight. And yeah, yeah, you're not thinking, well, if I can if I can stick my foot in this pothole and and like and you know, do something here that somehow it's gonna force the dog to trip over himself. Yeah, I mean yeah. You, you know now if you've practiced that some crazy thing eight million times and who on earth would but like you practice that very specific action a ton of times like people martial artists do I mean think of when you look at martial arts moves and you don't know what they are you're thinking this looks ridiculous until it actually has the result you're looking that that you see and you're like wow that's very cool but at first it looks ridiculous to try and do but they practiced it for years and years and years until they're so comfortable with it that is moved at the speed of instinct and that's when you people are showing you stuff week end of week one that's not gonna happen and when you become and you're as good as he is as an athlete, as a thrower of the football, um, you know, as someone who was a terrific college quarterback, you're used to carrying your team. And when you're an NFL franchise quarterback, or at least drafted to be one, you begin to think that if things don't go well that means i have to do more not that i have to do less you said mitchell trubisky 3.0 that's a perfect one too because mitchell trubisky like because josh allen was the same way too when things got went bad for them they tried to do it all themselves last two weeks ago josh allen looked like josh allen at wyoming against the jets where he just completely just lost his just mind Just unraveled yeah yeah, it was t- ridiculous. yeah totally unraveled and it's because it's because they think the best way to get out of this is take it on myself rather than delegate it away right and to distribute the ball and and you see fields dropping too slow missing reads that are the quickest reads to hit questioning whether those reads are the ones you should take dropping they're they're dropping cover six and then he has two of his receivers going into the cover six and he's still looking for them when he's got two receivers open underneath the cover six. And it's like first right. and 10, you know? And yeah, you're like, just... that kind of stuff is overthinking. Yeah, it's just and
1: it's just everything is so much slower like from a motor perspective. Like he's yeah. moving so much slower yeah. than he needs to. And it, it, he can't think that fast. Yeah. So he gets he gets done with his drop, and then he's like, "Oh shit, what's next?" It's a panic mode instead of a calm. Okay, great. Ball needs to go here. This isn't there. Okay, good. Let's move on to the next down. Um, It's brutal to watch. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like without coaches who can instill, "Hey, go be you." Yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna happen, right? I I was talking about Shane Steichen and Jalen Hurts, right? Now it's Shane Styson and Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson looks miles better yeah. than Justin Field. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Is he miles better as a as a quarterback? Probably not. No. But Maybe a half a mile. But, I'd say, know, yeah. Yeah. But what's happening is Anthony Richardson set up to succeed, right? Yeah. Shane Styson's highlighting hit the qualities that he he does he has and does well. Same with Jalen Hurts when he was in Philadelphia. Luke gets trying to make Justin Fields Aaron Rodgers, like I stated, and it's it's not going to happen. And it's it, like you said, it's a bad marriage, and it's and it's not getting any better. So I don't, I, I hope it goes back to like I said, and the Bill Laser half field reads play action, give the ball to Roshan Johnson 20 times, see what
0: happens. Yeah. And we've got two good contrasts within, um, within the conference because Jordan Love who I would say was a good half mile worse than Justin Fields as a prospect at least yeah um, for sure had because he's had three years to sit on the bench all the prep stuff that you do behind the scenes as a quarterback he's mastered he know what it's like to travel he knows what it's like to get ready he's seen um, top pros do that He's practiced enough to learn things. So now that he's out of the gate as the starter, one thing that you'll notice with him, his drops are quick. His um, his processing from one read to the next is quick. He knows where that second or third read is and the ball's coming out as long as he's not confused by the coverage. Like you'll see it and it's just like it's, it's great because you see him looking to one side and all of a sudden he knows that that's not open and it's a turn and fire. It's not. It's not turn hitch and fire. Turn pat the ball. You know any delayed type of physical tactic. Mm-hmm. It's turn and the ball's out to the running back, and he hasn't even seen the running back or coverage well enough yet to to right. other than to know that it, it's that way because he's processed it that fast that he can just rip it. And that's one example and of like what. Fields can't do right now because he's overthinking. Yeah, and then when you to your point about what they're what to do with offense, look at Sam Howell, who's basically yeah. in his rookie starting part. And and I'll and I want to talk about him a little bit because Howell, I mean, look, I think I had Howell as my maybe my sixth or seventh. I don't know. He was in my he was above Ritter and Malik Willis on my board, right? Um, but he was not super high but he was like borderline contributor like a guy who sure. like could probably start for you early and then if he really shows growth maybe he'll become your permanent starter your second contract starter yeah. if not he's a journeyman type when you watch him in washington a lot of things that they're doing is rpo's half field reads and some of those half field reads aren't even just rolling out they do that too but they do trips to one side and yeah. get three Make receivers it, yes. matched up against two defensive backs. And all you have to do is stare at the open void and you're manipulating the defense, even if you're not looking to the opposite side of the field because they, you're waiting for yeah. the defender to react to the receiver and then it goes. Exactly. Or you're
1: making it easy. Yeah. And that's the thing is you're making it simple. Okay, you go out corner curl. Out corner stop. Okay, great. You're you want to hit your high low read? Great. That's not there. Hit your stop. Yeah. Like it's not like that's the thing. is like it doesn't have to be difficult. And no. like there's there's playmakers on offense and the Washington offense that can create half the catch, right? All three of those guys can. Yeah. And so that's that's the that's the beauty of it. You doesn't all have to be on Sam Howell. Yeah. Great. If Dotson's running the corner, it's not open. Okay, great. Let's let's just throw the hitch to Curtis Samuel and get a few yards. And I was watching the Lions this past weekend and we were alluding to um, you know, just understanding where your guys are in your own sequence on a given play. It was uh like a third down and Jameer Gibbs was just in the flat and goth knew based on the coverage, He just checked down right away.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, great, got a first down.
0: Yeah.
1: Like and that's the thing is it doesn't have to be hard. No. Right? And, and- it's just making it easy.
0: And every time you, if you ever watch, when you watch TV and you turn on the pregame and it's a rookie quarterback and the quarterback's gotten some advice from some retired Hall of Famer, like, you know, Richardson with Peyton Manning or Tom Brady talking to one of, you know, to, yeah. his, to a young quarterback, you you always hear the same thing. Take the easy play. Take the check downs. It's uh, pro, pro quarterbacking is about the check downs. It's about taking yes. you know and and what we always highlight is see he didn't take that check down he got aggressive and went downfield and that's great when you have a clear opportunity to do that but if you've exhausted your opportunity and you've skipped the check down or the down and distance situation is first and 10 and the coverage is playing way off and you know you've got the out the, the quick out for a first down take it take it, it. And you're good because it's second and five now. You it opens the entire playbook exactly. You, you know, yes, and,
1: and that's the yeah. That's the thing is it. It doesn't have to be the home run. Yeah, right. Like just just live the live the fight another down and and that's the, the the crazy thing about NFL quarterbacking. It's like a a lot of the guys who are pretty high level processors are not high level athletes. Yep, like. Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins and FC North are good examples, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Make the right play.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: And the only reason it was funny because Jared Goff threw his first pick and God knows how many passes. Yeah. Got his, he threw. through, he through, threw, behind the, threw behind, I think it was an angle route that gives you running an option route. Yeah. Threw behind the option, and then it was whatever, right? Yeah. But the decision was great. Yeah. And that's the thing is just make the, make the easy choice.
0: And the and athletes th- tend to, Think they have to do more that was always Mitchell yes. Trubisky's problem was yeah. you I always joke that he they're was, so gifted yeah I I would I always talked about these guys interviewing for jobs and that year that year I joked that you know Mahomes and Chad Kelly were the two guys that you wanted to ask yeah, you know but but Mitchell Trubisky was a guy that looked great on paper but you had a sneaking feeling that he was always going to try and take too much on himself to to do the job that he wouldn 't know how to delegate when it got when things got stressful and that's that 's what fields is doing right now that 's what Josh Allen does when things go ar that 's what why trubisky ended up out of where he was because when he was in his backed up in his own area or in in the in the red zone at North Carolina he did it and he continued to do it chicago he 'd make the boneheaded play trying to do too much and yeah. and it just comes down to to those things so like when you look at a Sam Howell and you see those nice you know young receivers he's got two tight ends an old one and a young one who have great length and can and can vacuum some errant throws over the middle Um, you know and he's got a little bit of improbability they're doing well by him I mean he's, he's standing in the pocket throwing around defensive tackles taking hits and making accurate throws in the intermediate and vertical ranges of the field and you're like that's where you want to they're playing they play four verticals a lot you know yeah. they just basically send three or four verticals and then they've got the back or the tight end as the, yeah. as the leak option. as a safety blanket and
1: that's yeah exactly and that that's
0: it's it's winning football that's what right? Aaron Rodgers used to do early on they used to play lots of four verticals with him you know yeah yeah, yeah, that's smart,
1: man. I mean, yeah. I think that's – yeah, I think really another interesting offense, too, that we'll, we'll talk about is the Rams. Let's do right? it. With Kyron and Puka. Like, I think – I was – I think one of my biggest surprises of the early season has been this, the Rams offense. Yeah. And them being a top five unit in the league without their best player. Yeah, And that's been crazy. And I think the emergence, too, of Tutu Atwell yes. has been really awesome to see. Because yes. McVeigh kind of has him in a Tyreek Hill wall, right? Yeah. A lot of speed motion. But a lot of getting the defense on their heels. And I'll be honest, Tutu Atwell has looked
0: fantastic. He has. He has. And I, it's been fun to watch. It has. Because I've been making so many jokes about him for the past three years that, like, that if a stiff wind blows, that oh, yeah. you know, that he could get an sure. extra fifty yards, but if it's a headwind, he might lose fifty yards, you know, yeah. or he get blown through the uprights or all sorts of things. Yeah. But he's been yeah. tough. He's been tough at the catch point. Yes. Um, and he's made the plays when asked to do so. Now, you know, he had some diagnostic issues being on the same page with Goff that were biggies at the end of the game last week against San Francisco, but so did Van Jefferson. So did you know, and then Kyron Williams had a little mistake here and there, but they're mistakes you would expect from young players on the field in a big game, where communication or maybe some minor execution things that blew up. But overall, yeah, I mean, you look at Kyron Williams for example. I mean, I would even argue that they two that really they were missing their two most talented players on offense because Cam Akers and that whole saga. Hundred percent. I, I don't even, that's another one I want to talk about in a little bit too, because I don't yeah. even know where to begin with that. But, but yeah, I mean, what do you think of in addition to Atwell, what do you think of Kyron and, and, and Puka Nakua and how they're yeah. doing and, and how does that, what do you think that relays for like fantasy? How do you view the sure. fantasy scope?
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think Kyron, when he was coming out of Notre Dame, the one thing I noted in my analysis was this is, probably the best pass protector in this class, right? He's not overly yeah. big, right? He's 5'9", probably just south of 200 pounds. But he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. And that's that's the thing I, I, I think we overlook a lot is we love the talented players. We love the Ronald Joneses. But what happens when they make mistakes? Yeah. Right? Same with DeAndre Swift. That's why he's not in Detroit anymore, right? If you make mistakes, you lose your job. Yeah. Happens in any job. And that's what that's what is happening for with Kyron. What he does well is he doesn't make mistakes. Fundamentally a sound football player. He's not fast. He's not big. Very average athlete, but plays assignment sound football, doesn't fumble, reliable pass catcher, and will keep your quarterback clean on third. He's Justin done. Forsett. Yes, hundred percent. And Justin Forsett had some damn good years in Seattle. So and I think one in that, Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think for him, for Kyron, I think he's a rest season RB2. Why not? Yeah. McVeigh has told you. And he said it like he didn't say it, but when he watched the tape, week one, I, I wrote something to all like to, to all the subscribers in Angel Analysis, and I said, biggest surprise is Kyron Williams, and I think he's taking Kmaker's job because he was on the field in high-leverage situations when Cam Akers wasn't. Goal line, third downs, two-minute, four-minute. All those situations were all Kyron Williams. And I'm sitting here watching that, if Cam Akers on my fantasy team, I'm like, where's Cam Akers? And very apparent, Cam Akers lost his job. Because it's not that Cam Akers is less talented than Kyron Williams is. Kyron Williams isn't going to make the mistakes. And that's the big deal right now. And I think too, from that point going on to Puka Nakua, that's what impressed me about Puka in watching the first two weeks of his life as a pro is you don't see the rookie mistakes, right? And that's the that's the thing is he un- and he understands zones, yes. which is super super important, right? He understands the he understands the defender depth, and he understands. This is super important from high-level receivers really get this really well. And it's the ability to have that sixth sense of when the defender is closing yep. and what to do about it. When right? to cut
0: the route short, the b- route break short. Exactly. When to set in the zone. When to keep moving. When to get more depth. When to break back to the ball. Right. Yeah. Right. All, any mistakes that he makes – are plays that veterans make mistakes on. And exactly. you would not even call it a mistake. It might be a difficult target that it's hard to catch yeah. because and you're it, playing yeah. tight tight mans on you and the guy just outplayed you for the ball.
1: Exactly. And again, this is not an overly talented kid. No. Right? This is not a physically, like, this, he is not DK Mecca. Right? Like this is not yeah. this this physical juggernaut. right? When you watched him at BYU, I, I actually liken him to Robert Woods. Because you saw a lot of a lot of run game help, both as a blocker and on jet. Um, but also, it's Billy's a the, the Billy's a blocker, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think he's he's huge in the run game. He understands leverage. Not a big guy, but he's tough, man. He makes the right play, and he has great instincts. So, I mean, he's a perfect fit in that offense. And I am really excited to see Cup Atwell and Nakua on the field at the same time. Yeah, because that is a. That is an ascending trio right there.
0: Yeah. They suddenly went from looking like they had nothing in the spring to to yeah. being a competent, if not yeah. very good, um, yeah. young yeah. receiving core. And, and Puka to me, I mean, like I had him as a middle class version of Golden Tate, like sure. not as athletic as Tate. But could do, you know, you liked him for what he could do inside. But I love the Woods comparison because obviously that's where he is, and and you can see why they valued those skill sets, you, you know. And but at the same time, Tate was kind of was a Stafford guy, you know, guy could play inside yeah. and outside for you. You could do a little bit of both. He could win contested plays as you needed. He's just not as explosive as Tate, but right. but certainly can run. And then with Kyron, I thought you hit the nail on the head, like. I, the first thing I know, I didn't think about the leverage situations and I should have. Those were really, that's a very important thing for me. What I kept seeing was at first I was seeing it from the standpoint of Kyron's getting lighter boxes. Woods is getting the heavier boxes and keep it. And I was thinking it simplistically on that level, but really sure. There's a point where when your change of pace back, or at least the guy that you're opponents think is the change of pace back is on the field and certain down distances and you run to it, they're playing pass. Whereas with Cam Akers, they were playing pretty heavy. But when you look at last week's game, you what you saw also is that, like you said, didn't make many mistakes and that was the most important thing. But that line play is doing well. Yeah, they're good. They're, they they're way better than people thought. Yeah. And that makes sense because when you look at the end of the year last year with Akers, he was tearing it up last year at the end yeah. of the year. So yeah. that, that line that wasn't supposedly very good was that is actually very good at, yeah. at what they do. Yeah. So, so you know, when you think of it from that perspective, I agree, Kyron Williams is probably running back two. Um, you're, he, he may be valued as a running back one after two weeks, but if you keep him in running back two range in terms of how you're valuing him as a tool for your lineup, and how you would view him as a commodity if anyone wants to negotiate with you. You're gonna have a realistic understanding of what you can either get for him or what you can give up for him. Right, and, yeah. And and that's, and I would say the same is true of Puka because I think, you know, as the, the zone part is so important, what we have to see is when they do put him outside um, with Cooper yeah. Cup there, is he gonna win those one-on-ones? And I think he will win enough of them that he's gonna still be like a wide receiver three in a lineup yeah no, maybe I, a high-end wide receiver three low-end wide receiver two
1: 100 percent agree and i think that's where you look at to the scoring offense right i mean this is probably going to be a top 12 scoring unit this the season right yeah yeah and that's a big deal right he's gonna have a lot of a lot of red zone opportunities a lot of low red zone opportunities too and that's super important because with kyron williams there's not going to be a low red zone rushing team. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of play pass, and it's going to be a lot of, you know, backside drags and things like that and, and digs. And I think it's going to be Puka running those things, yeah. right? And I think that's going to be a big, big thing too, Best rest of season is I think we're going to see the red zone targets bump up. He doesn't have a touchdown yet. Yeah. Think of that. Though. Yeah. He doesn't even have a touchdown yeah. yet. So it's crazy what he's been doing, and you know I think he has the most targets ever through the first two games. He has thirty-five targets. Yeah. The next closest person I think is Justin Jefferson, with like twenty-five or something. Like that. Yeah, So ridiculous. And twenty-five targets through two games is a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Thirty-five is an absurd number. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool to watch them. You know, watch them work, man. I, I'm super excited about all three of those dudes, Puka, Tutu, and Kyron. Man, I mean they're fun to watch, and they're and they're good young players. And I think they. Guys like that are gonna keep McVay coaching,
0: I think. I think you're right. And I think they're still gonna to continue to see zone because do you yep. really want it's hard to match up against that well with his speed. It's hard to match up with Cup because of his route running. You've got Tyler Higbee who's a bit of a mismatch on Dex. when he's matched it's up against amazing, linebackers man. or certain safeties. So yeah, they're probably gonna to have to continue to play zone, which benefits uh, you know, Nakua greatly. Um, in terms of what he'll do on the outside, entering into this, so right. uh, you know, I like that. Uh, look, let's let's kind of, I'm gonna bring this mood down a little bit because I'm, you know, I'm. I think everyone's a huge Nick Chubb fan. I don't think oh, you can't yeah. if you like football, you like Nick Chubb. I mean, that's just that's just how that is. And and while I think most RSP subscribers know that, you know, I was a huge fan of Nick Chubb, you know, as a rookie, and I had him over um, Saquon Barkley and, and, and I was a big, big proponent of his game, you know, certainly hard to see what, what, what happened on Monday night, but it's, you know, unfortunately it's part of the game. This isn't, this isn't new. You know, if you go back to when I was growing up, there was a, there was a quiet back who, who was one of the first to get 2000 yards from scrimmage. For the Atlanta Falcons, by the name of William Andrews, who was the one player that the things that I always talk about with him is that he was I watched him run over Ronnie Lott and leave Ronnie Lott on in splayed out and in in the flat on like a like basically a swing pass when he scored for like seventy yards out after just running him over Um, and Lott had a good hit on him he just bounced off him and and Walter Payton in Sport Magazine which was a magazine that was out that was on newsstands for a while back in the late 70s early 80s they asked him who would he other than Matsui who would he block for if that running back was on his team and he said, the only run the only running back in the league that I would block for is William Andrews and you know and so you got guys like William Andrews Edron James you know who still had a much longer career but wasn't the same player. I mean, he's still a Hall of Fame player, sure, absolutely. But he might have been, he might have been on his way to greatest of all time argument if after his first year, first year and a half, two years, the the that, that quickness and that athletic ability that he had, along with everything else. Then you look at guys like Kajana Carter, Robert Edwards. You know, these were all players with unbelievable promising starts to their career and they ended suddenly obviously the king of them all Bo Jackson mm-hmm. you know when it comes to that so in a way you know we're fortunate to have seen Nick Chubb play as long as he did concerning the injury he had at Georgia that was as that my buddy Gene Bramble who's you know used to do injury stuff at Football Guys when we were coming back from the Senior Bowl and I was describing the injury he said, that's a very difficult injury to have three ligament tears to sew it up as a doctor and get it just right because it's usually too tight or too loose. And then the, the, the player's never quite comfortable with their movements again because there's always yeah. something a little tweaked and off and they just never quite trust it. And they and, and they can't quite trust it because of that feeling. Um, and it just nags at them and you know so the fact that he got it they got it just right with him in the first place to have the career he had was amazing but now you know now they're they've signed Kareem Hunt you know and it's we don't know what happened with Chubb other than dislocated kneecap that probably means he tore all three of those ligaments again maybe four um I I would have to I hate saying it but I would have to think this is it for him. I mean, like if it's not, it's it's going to have to be. They will open it up and go. It's not nearly as bad of a situation as we thought it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the the tough thing is with, with multi ligament injured, especially second time, same me. Uh, I know I've rather really the meniscus damage, obviously, multi ligament, multi ligament damage. I think it, the the issue is going to be his age too, right? already has a lot of miles on him and this is this is in my opinion the best running back in the NFL yeah in Nick Chubb like no hands question. down right yeah and that's what really guts me is this is a guy who doesn't talk yep doesn't have an ego just wants to go out there and play ball right and does everything right and then you know make it patch or goes low and there it goes right I mean it's just a, fo- it's a football injury and you can't it's not grass or turf or none of that shit man that it, 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 Hey, it's just a football injury, man, that, and that sucks, but it happens. And I think – I don't know if we've seen the last of Nick Chubb, but I think we've seen the last of Pete Nick Chubb. Yeah. Right? I think that's very safe to say. If he comes back, I think he will. I, I don't know if he'll be the same player, right? But it's like Kobe after his Achilles, right? doesn't have to be the same player to be successful, you can reinvent yourself in different ways and, and still have success in the league, and I think you will. I think the question's going to be with that Browns offense is, what do you do next? I think the the frightening thing is we can't rely on Nick Chubb. And they've and the, I think they realized last year when they had Deshaun Watson, and you kind of do thought Deshaun was rust. And Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, great season, obviously, and was the engine of that offense. This year, you're thinking, okay, Nick Chubb's going to get us off to a good start. Deshaun Watts is going to be with him. Deshaun Watts doesn't, with no. doesn't look good at all, right? Timing's off. He looks frustrated. He's shoving officials. And Nick Chubb's gone. Yeah. So what do you do? You have to rely on Deshaun Watts because you paid him to. That's what you paid him to do.
0: Yeah. Right,
1: and that's the issue is, what are you going to do with that offense? I think I think Jerome Ford is a a, a good piece to NFL. I think he's a good complementary back in the NFL. I think he has great top end speed. He's a good accelerator. He's a linear driven runner who can give you four and a half and pop on a with a good offensive line. Right? He Not runs a bad hard. Thing. Can catch. Yes. Yes. Hundred yeah. percent. He's learned under Cho. I like it. Kareem Hunt is just you know he's okay. I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be in, in more so for two minute and third down situations if Ford needs that, yeah. right? Because I I think that's the area where Ford doesn't have the experience yet. Veteran redundancy. High, bingo. High level situations, super important, right? I mean, we've seen we've seen guys like Giovanni Bernard made a living. Yeah. And I mean, that's what he did for his whole career. And that's going to be the cream hunt role, similar to Giovanni Bernard. Um, but I think the big thing here is going to be Amari Cooper. I think if there's going to be a saver to this Browns offense, it's going to be Amari Cooper. I think he's the only elite player left on of that offense. Yep, and it's, it's Deshaun Watson's just not. No, Not it. And the one thing that made me so upset, and I don't know why it made me so upset, I saw a video of the Sean Watson out in the town for his, I don't know, 28 years old, 29th birthday, I don't know what it was. And, you know, it's all this glitz and glamour. Dude, just lost again. And, like, what are you doing? Like, that's the that's my issue is you came, like, you're coming back. From whatever happened, not going to comment on that, but you're coming back. Don't you want to prove to everyone that you're going to be the best version of yourself? And so far he hasn't. And I, it's, what do, you, what do you do if you're the Browns? If they yeah. go, if they lose their next three games you turn the door in Thompson Robinson and say hey kid, let's see what you got yeah I mean what do you do that's it's a, it's tough
0: man it's it's a very tough thing because and as a Browns fan it's sickening because it's like Nick Chubb was the reason I stayed a Browns fan yeah I mean it was like sure. they drafted Baker Mayfield and I was like easy I'm done I can I can be a Ravens fan now I I, I know that's Heresy, but like whatever, I'm okay. That team's still like the soul of what, what I grew up with. So I, I can do it. That's okay. And then they drafted Nick Chubb, and I was like, nope, I'm still here. I'm still gonna be here because they fucking drafted this guy. Um, but when you look at Deshaun Watson, I think that they, I think that um, Troy Aikman said it very well. Was that the offense? really doesn't fit what Deshaun does best in terms of what Stefanski asks, you know, because it's, it's a lot more drop back. It's a lot more, you know, think of what cousins did with Stefanski, you know, a little bit more of a drop back distributor, stay on structure, that kind of thing. Um, Watson is very good off structure. Um, you have this, you have great offensive linemen who expect you to stay on structure because they're doing good work. They're doing quality work. Don't screw this up by going outside the (laughs) pocket. That's why we were mad at Baker, probably. I mean, I'm putting words in their mouth about that. But that's some of the things that Baker sometimes did wrong, too, is she tried to go off structure too much and and basically abandon the leverage of his blockers and ruin what they were doing for him. And I think Watson has a tendency to do the same thing. So I think the big question is, is Kevin Stefanski going to adjust the offense to for Watson because they've got to lean on him? Or are they going to keep the same offense for the sake of the rest of the talents on the team and just make Watson get better at what he does? Now, you know, that's the, the, the real answer is, I think the look on your face, which is they're probably not doing that with the, how much money they paid Watson.
1: Yeah. It's just, it, that it's tough. Cause I think now it's like, I think if you're upper management of the Browns, you're like, training wheels are off. Yeah. Like this is what we paid you to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? This is this is why we paid you so much money and now go with football games. I mean, that's as simple as that. And I think, like I said, Amari Cooper is gonna be I mean, you're feeding him twelve targets a game. Yeah. Like that's what you have to do. He's your best offensive player. He's gotta he's gotta be the one you lean on here. And then I I I don't think they really have a bad receiver either with Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore can help you out in the backfield too in the run. Yeah. I think that's gonna be an area where they they integrate him in a little more um into the run game. Similar to how I think LaVisca Chennault was in his rookie season with the Jaguars, right? We saw him get a lot of actual RB touches, which is actually good for him. They've won you know, the Panthers don't do that right now, which is fine. Um but I think Elijah Moore's role needs to be kind of a rookie season, LaViska Chanel plus, yeah, right? He's... Get him some RB touches. Too much has ball. been
0: made of him in fantasy, I think, a little bit. Yeah, because he, he's not. I, I don't. I
1: I love him coming out on this. Yeah, it me too. But, but it, it's just you know, like you got to find a role, right?
0: You yeah. got to find a, a, a niche in the league in answer. I'll, so I'll, I'll end this part about Deshaun Watson on this. He grew up probably about 20 miles from where I live right now and I've been in that town enough that I'm speculating but I did somebody I know let's just say I played the telephone game with this so it may not be completely reliable but just say people I know who've talked to him in the past I get a sneaking feeling that what happened with him certainly I. I think it's good to probably make the assumption that he did a lot of things that were very wrong. Okay. Very inappropriate at the very least. I would also say that people are complicated and that just because, and and I'm not saying, you know, I'll I'll say the the final word is he did wrong and he should have known better. That's how I'll put it. But I'll also say that there's a, there's some naivete with this guy. And I think that there's a bit of naivete from being a star athlete and having and having a certain expectation probably um, played out over and over again since you were at Clemson. Maybe even at the end of high school. Um, and then probably continued to the point that he behaved inappropriately and got away with it because there were either people who were like, I'm okay with it some people who were some people who were like I'm not okay with it but I'm afraid to say anything and some who were like I'm not okay with it and I'm reporting this and then the ones who were not okay with it but not saying anything said you know what someone stood up it's time for me to do do that too and I think that for him to and if people when he says I don't think I did anything wrong or behave you know said some of the things that he said I could see it coming from a place of naivete because I could see the idea of him probably asking around what, you know, how do I, how do I procure this kind of experience? How do I procure these types of experiences? And probably had some people tell him, but in a very simplistic manner that he ended up going completely in the wrong direction with it. Um, Because like, I'm trying to remember the dude from... Ralph, um, no, not Ralph Wiley, Marcellus Wiley, you know, Columbia educated, you know, great defensive, you know, good defensive end who, you know, did commentary. I heard him talking about and saying, look, everyone knew the massage therapists in the locker room, you know, that you come back to the locker room and you would, you know, some of the guys would say to the other guy, they're friendly, you know, they're a little more friendly than just professional. And some would say they're strictly professional you know, and, or he said he dated his massage therapist that he met as an NFL employee, Um, you know, and so things like that can happen, and I think that sometimes what happens is that you look at the exceptional circumstances and think it's the rule, and then you're naive about how that goes, and so I say all that not to defend Deshaun Watson in any way, shape, or form, just to explain the dynamic of, of how a young athlete may see things in the same way that I know someone who interacted with um, a prominent Georgia player who went on to the pros who's since re- long since retired, who used to bring a, um, one of those crowd control, like velvet oh, road yeah, yeah, yeah. to the club and literally hit on this. Um, and one of the, the, the teammates hit on this woman like much older than them. And she politely turned them down. And then he basically said, "Well, I've got a bunch of women waiting in line, to basically to perform fellatio on us, oh, you, you, you know, as if like that, you know, you should be flattered that I even asked you, you know, and you know." Then she, you know, let him have it. Um, and by the way, she's a new, she's a, she's a judge in New Orleans right now. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so it makes me laugh. But, uh, but, um, you, you know, th- this this expectation that's had sometimes from people who that, that this happens and they get, they almost get enabled to that extent. I think that that's where this went awfully wrong for him. And I, and I think that uh, when you look at how he's behaving now, I think he's lost. I think he's just a completely lost human being.
1: Yeah. I think really, I mean, it's a complete lack of, I think mean, complete lack of ownership, yeah, in general, um, and I think he's lost the respect of so many people, yeah. rightfully so. And um, uh, he's what he's my least favorite, least favorite player in the NFL by yeah. a wide margin. Yeah. Um, but I think for that Browns organization, from a football standpoint, that Browns organization is saying, we took you on. We knew, we we took the we took the social risk, yeah. and now, what are you giving us, right? Yeah, and so I think I think th- we are closer than I think we realized. The Browns moving on from the shots. yeah, and I think it's because you take on that much risk, and you get no
0: reward, and that they is they not great they screwed themselves the minute they signed this kid. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, and it's so sad because as a fan, you look at it and go, I don't want to root for this kid. I haven't wanted to root for him the moment that all this broke out. and But there's so many other players I really enjoy watching on this team, like Grant Delpit or Denzel Ward or yeah. Miles Garrett, you know. And then, you, you know, and then you look at this and go, yeah, what, you know, I don't, I can understand how Cleveland fans are just like, I don't um, even want to yeah. talk about it they're they're probably just I mean like because me it's like I this is the first time in in probably since they signed Deshaun Watson that I've literally said this is how I feel about it which is like I I've tried to avoid talking about it for an entire year because it's just disgusting to me yeah that it's, we're it's, at where we it's, are it's, it's, it's yeah so let's move on to someone who isn't disgusting and that's Gino Smith who some people were disgusted by his first his first week because he missed two offensive tackles um, to injury, but then came back in Detroit and played very well.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, he's, he's becoming a pretty damn good F.O. quarterback. man. Yeah. And I think when you saw him in um, West Virginia, I think that was, we thought that was going to happen. um seven years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's nice that it's happening now, and he's playing some pretty dang good ball, and he and he has really good playmakers around, um, especially you know with the the healthy DK Metcalf and JSN and in Lockett and and Noah Fant too is a decent piece, and then the running backs in Charbonnet and Walker, I mean you have a really good nucleus. Yeah. To kind of go off of, and he played some really good ball against Detroit. And Detroit's no slouch, right? That's not a pushover team anymore. Yeah. Um. And Dan Campbell's got those boys playing. They, they put tough. They yeah. they're no, they, they're one team. I will say Detroit will play any team in the league tough. Yeah. Just because of who they are, and he didn't back down. And he played a hell of a game. And I think he's someone that is going to be a starter for the rest of his career. And is going to continue to even get better, I think, yeah. as he as he gets old. But he's I've been really surprised. pleasantly surprised by how much better he has gotten so quickly. Because when you thought, hey, he beat out Drew Locke, you, you thought, oh, boy, he, this is going to be a 6-point Seahawks. Drew Locke no. will be in by week nine. Exactly, you know? right?
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm surprised, man. He's been great. And his – Especially last week, when you know they had replacement tackles, and he's running for his life. Even the play where he ends up taking a sack deep in his own territory late in the fourth quarter, where he's he's basically pulling a Kyler Murray, Donovan McNabb, running all over the field, Russell Wilson type of thing. You had to you looked at that and go wow the athletic ability to do what he did and the awareness to do what he did physically was so impressive it's just you wish that he had thrown the ball away he got too invested but much of the time he's not doing that much of the time he's you know he's finding he's creating time and he's finding the open man and he's he's tough he's accurate he's got the arm i you know i'm a i'm a big fan of what i'm seeing and you're right it's just and i'm a bigger fan because The fact that he didn't go completely into a hole and just become a journeyman who ends up leaving the league. Now, there's no shame in that because it's a tough league. We often shame it, but it's a tough league. But for him to be able to be at this point, you know, where he had such a strong season last year and it looks like he can continue that, you know, is just it's, it's a very inspirational story. For a yeah. lot of guys who lose their confidence and it's over. So, yeah. so, what about Brock Purdy? Where, where are you with Brock Purdy at this point after seeing him late last year and this year?
1: I think with a roster that good, he's the perfect fit. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is he's going to distribute the ball, he's going to get it to his playmakers, and he doesn't have to do that much with how good those guys are after the catch. Is there a better after-catch trio than McCaffrey, Kittle, and Dima? Like, really? No, no probably not. No. So, I mean, you're looking at probably the best roster in the league. All you have to do is get in the ball and be on time. And that, that Shanahan system is a tough system, right? Yep. But I think he's done such a good job at understanding the selflessness it, it takes to be a, a quarterback in that system. Um that they're succeeding and they're going to succeed because of it. I mean, they're going to, I think to me, they are the team to beat the NFC. Yeah. I think them and Philly for sure, but I think better team than Philadelphia is right now. Yeah. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see as we get closer to playoff time, what moves Philadelphia makes. I think we're hearing rumors of Buda Baker. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense for the back end of their defense, and also to their run fits. I think he's a, he's better than people think in, in the run game. Oh yeah, um, he's great. Um, but I think that's a move that I think if you're Philly, you definitely make because when you, hey, when you play when you play the Niners, man, you better be really assignment some. You know, McCaffrey's your little McCaffrey's gonna have 120 in the first half, yeah. and. <laughs> And then by a, hey, it's over by that time. So it's they're an interesting team. I really like well, Brock Purdy, and in fantasy too. I think if you are a super flex league, you have a a, a QB two. Yeah, he he's steady Eddie. He's not gonna be super flashy, but he's gonna be someone that's gonna that's gonna get you, especially in six point for pass and touchdown. He's gonna get you. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think and he's you, he's a it's good. You might even be able to get away with him as a low end quarterback one if you have a super team. Or, you know, so if you're like one step away from having a super team and you've got like, you've got Justin Fields and it's not working quite out just yet, but you have like another, but you can maybe make a trade to like, I don't know. Like if you had like Fields and another top quarterback and you wanted to trade the top quarterback, knowing that you could get Purdy off the waiver wire and and get something in return to fill your receiver or running back core or tight end core and make a, get a super tight end, you know, one of the top guys, get a Kelsey or a Kittle or, or a Hawkinson type of player, you know, and, get, and then you're able to, like, maybe add Purdy to your roster. You might be able to, like, survive with that if you're, like, shooting for, like, swinging for the fences. Likely, you're not going to do that. I mean, likely you're just going to go with what you have. But I think that if you're one of those people that wants to itch to try and do that, you know, Purdy certainly could be that guy that the difference between him and the 11th ranked or the 12th ranked quarterback is literally less than half of a point per game, you know? So why not? You know, if you're, if you're thinking you can get an extra two or three points per game into your lineup and, and, you know, right now you're, you adding purdy and that's doing better than what you got from you know fields right you know why not or the net the net gain seems to be better you know right. with with the with the moves but yeah with with purdy i mean i i i think that you're right i mean he's not making he doesn't make many mistakes he's he he can be aggressive within the scheme um and with you know when you have Christian McCaffrey and you motion him around like he's Julian Edelman or Wes Welker, you basically get that effect that Tom Brady had, which is like, "Oh, this is what the defense has declared. Now I know what the coverage is pretty quickly. Here's where I can attack the field." And and he seems to process that information very well. And and what's interesting is when he does face Philadelphia, if it's Philadelphia in the, you know, in the conference championship, is he going to be able to make some of those three to five plays that you, that you need? If he can, they're in business. And I, I think there's going to be, I think people are going to be surprised because I think he's going to be able to do some of those. Now the Philly side of the ball was fun last week to watch, you know, Deandre Swift run for what? 170 something yards. You know, but I think it also highlights things we kind of alluded to, which is look, Great offensive line in Detroit, great offensive line in Philly, but Jared Goff does not force defenders to account for him in the run game. Whereas with Jalen Hurts, they absolutely do. It may force two defenders to account for him, which can often give you a box advantage of three on five, you know, six on four, seven on five, things like that. If you're counting like one side of the play, Right. you know you're getting a one or two man advantage and when you have a when you're even with the defense when you count the running back and you're even with the defense that's a runnable play if you're if you have one man that's a play you're expecting to possibly move the chains with right you have two yeah i mean and swift is swift still doing the swift things that aren't great with his game like peeking outside too often, trying to bounce stuff when he has to make a cut. He veers way away from his fingers yeah. and he's like zigzagging towards a defender and zigging mm-hmm. back in, but it doesn't matter as much. You know, it's like we've got big craters. We've they're even bigger. They're going to stay craters because everyone's worried about hurts. Keeping that ball. you got to respect that. And he's getting chunk plays.
1: Yeah. It, it's, He's going to get so many second level opportunities with, with Philadelphia, and that's and it's it's going to be in the middle of the field, and that's going to be the huge thing is when they're gonna, they're going to run a lot of I think zone reads to with him, which he fits pretty well in that because you have to get him downhill, right? That we're, when he gets into huge trouble is when he has the option to veer, right? We just call it ineffective veering. If he's has the option to veer outside and veer path, he'll do it because that's what he that's his natural inclination his tendency to do. And the difference between him and Miles Sanders is that cognitively they're kind of similar; that they don't process information super well. But Miles Sanders did not have any lateral element to his game. right? Yeah. wasn't a good enough mover to get around to get around backers. He either had to go through the backer or try to, you know, sprint past them, right? Out accelerate them. And Swift has the lateral element to the game where he can manipulate backers a little better. And we saw that in last week's game, right against the Vikings. And I think. That's going to be a huge element to them going forward. I think Kenneth Gainwell offers you a little more safety, yeah, right, and a little much better in pass pro, and that's that's an area where DeAndre Swift was not good in Detroit, yeah. and that's that too is an area where I think in third down, two minute, and four minute, the high leverage situations, and even goal line, Kenneth Gainwell might still see those looks, yeah. but. I think between the 20s, DeAndre Swift is a better bet for a big play, for splash plays. And if you want to motion him out, use him as a decoy, um, and empties is I think is important. You have to account for him on the boundary as a receiver, right? With kind of game well, you don't have to as much as you can DeAndre Swift, I think, after the catch in particular. Yeah. Um, because you can run some delayed drags with DeAndre Swift. I don't think he's that great of a route runner on the boundary, but you can run some delayed drag with delay drag with him and, and do some design screens and things of that nature, which you can't do as much with Kennedy, right? Or at least yeah. the threat of him isn't as big. Um, but I think we're seeing a potential resurgence in his career. And I, I wrote something to the effect of this is good because if it wasn't – if this wasn't the fit he'd be, he might be out of the loop by next year. Yeah. Because that's the way – it was very Ronald Jones-esque, right? Ronald Jones is now – Cowboy? I don't know. I, I don't even have yeah, in the practice squad anymore. Yeah. Um
0: but he's not in time. That's
1: for sure. No, no, he's not. And it's not because he's not talented, right? Yeah. It's, it's he makes too many mistakes. And I mm-hmm. think DeAndre Swift is finally realizing, oh my gosh, like, this is this is what this league is. And he's playing really well, and I think he's gonna be a, a great rest of the season addition. Yeah.
0: Any hope for Rashad Penny? <sighs>
1: he looks like he's lost his stuff. And that's yeah. like when you when you watch him, especially. I mean, he's super dynamic with the ball in his hand. And we're talking about that level of acceleration for a guy who's two hundred twenty plus pounds. I mean, he was one of the probably the best linear runners in the NFL of the last five years. Like I could short very short list, but with his recent injury, you can kind of see that initial acceleration, that early excel, it has lost a step or two. Yeah. And that's where he really had an advantage on backers is you'd see him so many times be by the back or the backers turning his hips and see you later. And now he just doesn't have that. And I think he's he's gonna be someone I think that gets cut. I I don't think I think it's more likely they bring in a veteran for the playoff run. they want a third veteran back that it's kind of a banger like a format type
0: yeah um
1: then keeping a guy like Rashad
0: yeah I can see that so you know you you know what we've been waiting for all along with all this talk you know we we, we've just wanted more Tajay Spears so what have your thoughts have been after a couple weeks of seeing Tajay Spears in action I think you're still standing pat on that we might see him as the starter at year's end. What has, I think so. What what has, what has caught your eye about him?
1: I think the first thing was not even him. It's Him out snapping Derrick Henry week one was not in my bingo card. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. I did not think that would happen. And I think that I, I didn't realize he'd play so much so quickly. I thought this was going to be a splash play or two. Tim Keller's like, "Yeah, this guy's pretty good. Let's put him in somewhere. But no, he's playing and playing in high leverage situations. Yeah. Big deal. And he looks good working off of Henry, yes. which is super, super important, right? I mean, and you can have either those guys in the field and the defense is going to have to account for them. Yeah. That's what didn't happen in the past, right? They've had some okay secondary pieces, right? Like Darrington Evans and some other guys who are all right, but like not like starter caliber backs, like, like like Spears is. And I think that's a super big deal for the the identity of the Titans offense is where those guys can be interchangeable and potentially have a future at the position. Um where Derrick Henry, Derek Henry still looks like Derrick Henry to me. I think he looks yeah He I mean, looks the same old same old Derrick Henry. But I think, especially by season's end, I think you see the roles go in opposite directions. Especially as you're start at as you're the Titans and you're in playoff contention and you kind of want to maybe save some of the, the the tread and the tires for for the playoffs with Derek Henry, right? yeah. and you you start you start giving Spears more looks out in the backfield, and start giving him some more angle and option cons, so I'm surprised they don't run with him very much with Tannehill. Right, Tannehill's a timing based passer that works really well with what what unit they have out there at receiver, which yeah. is Hopkins, Burks, and. What else
0: do you have? What,
1: yeah. like, oh, Las Perkins oh, oh, right? Oh, whoa,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: and it's like you don't have another go-to target, and I think Spears can be that guy. Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, I think he needs to if they're going to make a playoff. I think he's going to be the X factor for them being a playoff team. In the
0: what blew my mind, what blew my mind was not just what you mentioned with the, the out-snapping Derrick Henry, but – Being the main pass pro bodyguard of Ryan Tannehill in the Superdome in the season's opener and stoning, um, twisting defensive tackles at his size, I thought he repeatedly moved guys out of the way, picked up the twists, was. I mean practically flawless as a pass protector in that noisy environment and then yeah the the routes that he ran they weren't ideal but they were huge play opportunities that it wasn't his, it wasn't his problem that you, you know that he didn't come down with those um you know and that to me was like oh Mike Vrabel saw this they saw they saw what he must have been doing in practice i get it now like i i kept thinking big play receiver they'll use him on screens they'll use him on like you said option routes using them on mm-hmm. timing based routes angle routes he'll run the ball he'll be that change of pace guy and then derrick henry's either going to be in there they're going to an extra tight end they got wesco he can be that extra offensive lineman type of thing Maybe they're going to do that as a bodyguard because surely they're not going to have Tajay Spears in there pass protecting right away. You know, maybe down the line, and then to watch him do it, I was just like, okay, yeah, I, I, that's why that's they he saw him and said, that's it, we're putting this kid in uh, from the jump, and we're going to let him get comfortable. And when a player, when a player is that good. In their all around game that early, that a coach like Vrabel is like, yep, come on he's a in. a hard
1: man to impress.
0: Yes. And he didn't, and I don't think he said much about, I haven't looked for what he said about Ty J. Spears because I would think that if he said glowing things, we would have heard all about oh, it. Oh, for sure. I, yeah, he's, he doesn't nah. say, uh, uh, he's he no tourist for actions. not saying, yeah.
1: yes, he's no tourist, not say anything about wickets. Yeah. Particular. Right, I'm just so, gonna show
0: you how good this kid is, and yeah. if you have a clue, you're gonna see it too. And we're clued in that. That is, uh, yeah, he's he, yeah, that's the most exciting that to he's me. the truth, yeah, he is absolutely the truth. Well, listen, we've got other things we could probably continue on with, but we'll save them because they'll still be around, probably very much around. As the season goes on, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about maybe a college prospect or two, maybe his dad, you know, and, (laughs) (laughs) but he's going to be around and he's probably going to be at the eye of the storm for, you you know, for the rest of the year, that fool who, who plays the fool to be the why to catch the wise, um, you know, but, you know, I, I definitely enjoy getting clued in by, by Brandon Angelo. You can find him at Angelo underscore Fantasy, you know Angelo FF as you see as the the handle on there too, and you know yeah. what you what else you got going on that you want to share with folks? Oh
1: man, nothing much. I'm trying to try to hit these newsletters for the site subscribers. Um, all the stuff on like every week we just just kind of go over you know, what I think utilization charts are looking like and. I saw, especially with the Kyron Williams, that was a big one last week. Hey, I so saw him taking high-level snaps. Like, that's a really big one. And when you go back and watch the All-22, and you kind of seeing what these guys are actually doing and how they're being utilized, and is it what we thought it was going to be, or is it not? Right. And the big one this week is going to be Jameer Gibbs. Like, he played 28% of his snaps at receiver. Yeah. Right. We saw that at Alabama. And that was why he was drafted 12, right? To be utilized in that role, right? And he had a couple interesting receptions from that position. He dropped one where he was in the slot alignment, ran an option route, beautiful option route, um, just mishandled it. But just stuff like that, when you when, I, when you go back and watch the L22 and say, hey, what, what was the charting on this? And you go and say, oh, shit, it was 28% of his snaps were not at running back. Um, just stuff like that, because, you know, that's a that's a situation too. When you look at utilization charts and the all twenty-two, you could say this might be a player we should buy, right? Like like Kyron and Puka and Tutu and just players like that, where the 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 stats don't tell the whole story, but just looking at it from utilization standpoint, and just doing more of that this year during seasons been super fun so far, and just doing that type of stuff and. Um, more so the explorations of certain players like Justin just is going to be something i want to continue to do and that's been pretty well received in the first day so it's good but but yeah i'm just looking forward to keep doing this with you matt and, and keep it keep it growing and keep having fun
0: yeah man we're having a good time with it for sure and i would definitely recommend folks to check out you know brandon's work over at angelo fantasy you, you know it's you know you're gonna get you're gonna get quality stuff like we saw tonight and course you know you can find me over at football guys i i last week i did a i did a very um detailed charting in in some creative ways of desmond ritter's game to kind of give you an idea about what's going on in atlanta um and i have you know i I put up some some film rooms at the rsp film room on um you know sam howell justin fields nico collins and um james cook yeah james cook and give you guys a chance to to check those out and you can see my analysis also at at football guys if you want some of the fantasy recommendations with that and um thanks again you can find me at matt waldman uh, um, x i guess that's what we should start calling now pluto x twitter yeah sure groovy whatever you want it to be you know i'm okay with it and uh you guys have a good night we'll talk to you in a couple weeks